0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. This is part two of our Superman versus Man of Steel episode. Just want to say thank you to all the support you guys are giving us. We truly appreciate it. Thank you to all our Facebook fans. Matt Farmer, I'm looking at you. And thank you to Joey Jarvis, who sent us an email suggesting a matchup between Goonies and Gremlins and Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Breakfast Club. Excellent suggestions. If you all have any suggestions, please email them to us. Or hit us up on twitter or facebook next week we will begin synchronicity by the police and frontiers by journey so please hit subscribe on your podcast app now so that you're sure not to miss those episodes so without further ado
1: hello everybody and welcome to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast,
0: discussing and debating the iconic and the forgotten of 80s and 90s pop culture with your co-hosts, James D. Graves and Jason Holliday. If I crazy, then will you still call me? Hey guys, we're back for part two of the Superman 1 and 2 versus Man of Steel debate. Once again, John Reed from the 30-something movie podcast is joining us. Hey,
1: John. Hey guys, I, I'm really excited. Thank you so much for having me back here. I'm I'm ready to throw down like that, that Muhammad Ali Superman thing. I'm ready to <laughs> throw down, fight this out, you know, may, may the best Superman win.
2: All right. I know that in Man of Steel, there is no Lex Luthor, but
0: I think we should talk about Gene Hackman for just a second. Gene Hackman is maybe, next to Christopher Reeve, my favorite part of the Superman 1 and 2 series. He is not the mustache-twirling villain at all. Anything that you get from him that's evil is just dialogue that he's speaking. In all other respects, he seems kind of like a funny guy and... Easy to get along with, other than he's so full of himself. <laughs> <laughs> when he was hired, he had a mustache. This is like
2: mustache Gene Hackman.
0: Yeah, the original posters had a picture of Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman, and Gene Hackman had a full-on mustache. That's crazy. And uh, he didn't want to shave.
2: He didn't want to shave his mustache. Number one, he didn't want to shave his head either. Right. But Dick Donner called him. He said, "All right, listen,
1: dude, if you if you'll
2: shave your mustache, I'll shave my mustache." So Hackman's like, "All right."
1: Well, Dave Donner didn't have a mustache. Not only that, he when he said, I'll shave my mustache if you shave yours, yeah. he actually had a fake mustache on. Yeah. Yeah. And then after Gene out. Hackman, yeah, after Gene Hackman shaved his, he's like, All right. He's like, okay, cool. And peeled it off. <laughs> that's <laughs> and that's awesome. the story of why Gene Hackman didn't come back for the sequel. <laughs> I think it's
2: funny that Lex Luthor is supposed to have all these hair pieces, but mm-hmm. I mean, anybody you know who wears a toupee that has a bald spot <laughs> in it? So anytime you see Hackman it's bald, it's a bald cap. But I, I love Gene Hackman. He, he's charming. He's funny. I talked to Dee the other day, and I'm like, when he first meets Superman and kind of lures him to his lair by making that vague thread about toxin gas or whatever he doesn't have a plan to commit any kind of crime and yet he has instant credibility and superman shows up and not kicks in his door i'm mm-hmm. like that happens every day on twitter
0: in addition to lex Luthor, we didn't have otis who was played by ned Beatty, who was fantastic it, it mr. The mr luthor M- yeah. Mr. Luthor. <laughs> it, it, just a, an aside, real quick the the officers, the police officers in Superman one, know not only know who Lex Luthor is, but know who his goons are because they see <laughs> Otis and decide to start following. Him. That scene when the guy gets pushed in front of the train was traumatic for me as a kid. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. But the uh, his partner, the other guy, I guess he must have done pretty well because he ends up being the police chief for Riggs and Murdoch.
2: Not that sign says Riggs, yeah, but I don't give a <laughs> you don't have Miss Tessmacher in uh Man of Steel either. No, you don't. Valerie Perrine, oh my word, her cleavage caused the entire U.S. military to fall oh, apart at the yeah. end of Superman One,
0: <laughs> right? I mean, the I Dream of Genie guy had somehow transferred over to the army branch <laughs> and he was high enough in command to be solely responsible. She for that.
2: literally lays down, shows her boobs.
0: And he assumes control of nuclear weapons. I can remember it's so I have it. He's 10 years old right now, and this has been five years ago. So he was been five, four or five years old and I had Superman on a tablet of some kind and he was sitting with me and we're watching Superman for the first time. And it gets to that scene where she's in the green bathing suit and she's laying down and you know, her chest is just in her arms. And my four to five year old son pushes pause
1: on the tablet, stops
0: stops going and goes, dad, when I grow up and get married, I'm gonna marry a girl like her. All right, Jarrell. Okay, so Jarrell, we've got Marlon Brando, who we've talked about, and Russell Crowe from Man of Steel. Marlon Brando was paid three point and there's some rough estimation on the figures here, but somewhere between three point five and three point seven million dollars for his performance in this, which is less than twenty minutes long, and then got an absurd percentage on the back end of like 11 and an three absurd quarters
2: third percentage
0: and still sued to get more money and then before they started shooting he tr- he called and tried to convince dick donner that instead of having him appear on screen that they could do a, a talking suitcase or a bagel of some kind because nobody knows what kryptonians really look like so why not just use his voice it's funny to listen to an interview with him about the amount of money that he was paid people pay what they deem something is worth. And some things are worth more than others. Cars are worth more than hula hoops, <laughs> which I, I listened to it. I laughed out loud just because of the idea. And then I watched the movie. And I was like, Oh my gosh, there's actually hula hoops in his scene.
2: Yeah. That's right. Yeah. The hula
0: hoops that are keeping the criminals from escaping.
2: in, in fairness to him though, he's absolutely right. And he was the key piece to getting this done.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly he had the star power to, to demand what he got. And, you know, Dick Donner in his interview says, I was really skeptical of the idea of paying Marlon Brando this much money. But once I started working with him, I realized, yeah, he's worth it. Well, what about Russell Crowe? Where are we with Russell Crowe? Okay, so I know you love Russell Crowe. I love we've Russell We've had this talk. I didn't like him in Gladiator, but I thought he did fantastic in this. I thought he was a compelling Jarrell who was smart and active and had a plan, and he was great. He's great as a hologram. This part was a little confusing. I always have this, the AI, you know, can they
2: hear me? Can they understand me? Are they thinking? This whole thing is a little bit confusing to me. Mm-hmm. But... I like both the actors. I just, I don't know. I think you could almost make a case that Man of Steel, that you didn't really need all this stuff. That you could start with Clark on The Deadliest Catch.
0: Well, see, now that's an interesting comparison. I've got that over here. So when I watched Man of Steel, I was like, wow, they're really spending a significant amount of time on Krypton here, right? You're getting a whole lot more story than you got with Superman. I mean, they fleshed out the, the place. You get a better understanding of why Zod is is rebelling against uh, the people. You get a better trial scene. Uh Jor-El has an entire storyline that that goes along with why he's doing what he's doing. Has time to dive into the water and get the codex to take. I mean, this is, I was like, wow, they must have spent like a ton of time. I looked. It's 20 minutes from beginning of movie until Krypton explodes in Man of Steel. In Superman, it's 21 minutes. Wow. And I thought they gave you so much more detail and depth in Man of Steel about what Krypton was like and why these characters were doing what they were doing than you ever got in Superman. Did you know that that's roughly the same
2: amount of time that the kid who fell off the Niagara Falls (laughs) as he fell... (laughs) It took about 20 minutes for Superman to get his act uh, together and go rescue that kid.
0: And when he, you know, after he appears, saves Lois Lane for the first time and thinks, oh, I think I'll shoot the rest of the night away fighting minor crime, and he confronts the cat burglar who's crawling up this up the windows, and that guy starts to fall. Once again, Superman's got a time to smirk, shake his head. <laughs> ah, well, I Going guess down. I'll zoom down and get him. <laughs>
2: All right, I, I do want to throw in real quick um, Kevin Costner and Diane Lane as Ma and Pa Kent. I, I, I love what they did in
0: this. Absolutely love it. With the Superman movies, you've got you get a very brief glimpse of Martha and Jonathan Kent. They have a great little you know bit where they discover him, and you have the falling truck, which I think will live in everybody's memory forever as the little kid lifts that truck up Oh, quick side note on that guy the guy's name is the the little kid you know the little kid who's naked and then who's lifting up the truck his name is Aaron Smolenski and he is the only actor who has been in Superman 1 Superman 3 and Man of Steel. He was, remember in Superman 3 where he goes into the photo booth and like it has pictures of him changing from Clark Kent to Superman. He played the kid at the photo booth on that one. And then of course, he's an adult now. And so he played a communications officer in Man of Steel. And that's cool. There's some sort of uh, fan film that there is in development right now called Superman versus Doomsday, and if it gets made, he'll be Lex Luthor in that. He's bald now, so looks like, he, <laughs> looks like he'd be good. To looks like Lex Luthor, but uh, what an interesting life that guy has to have had yeah. so far. But back to Ma and Pa Kent, Jonathan and Martha uh, Kent. You don't get much from them. I mean, especially Ma Kent, you don't get much at all. She's just kind of there. Holy- as, yeah homely. homely. <laughs> She's old, man. She's a little silver headed old woman. <laughs> you don't get much from her other than, you know, love you. Don't forget. No, never forget. But you got way different parenting in in this one. Martha Kent is fan-freaking-tastic. I love her yeah Diane Lane you know she can pull off young and old very easily I bought her being old enough to be his mom She's and then old obviously and beautiful still. yeah she still still can pull off being very young as well. And Kevin Costner does
2: a great sort of Midwestern, you know, I kept waiting for him to ask him if he wanted to have a catch. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's great. He's Mr. Field of Dreams, you know? Yeah, So and,
0: and people had a problem with Jonathan Kent when Clark Kent says, should I just have let them die? him saying maybe, but you've got to have that in order to establish within Clark how critical the idea of, People cannot know what you can do. I, I totally agree with
2: that. I, I've heard the criticism, but I mean, you and I have teenagers. John, yeah. I mean, your kids are not teenagers yet. But no, I, yeah, my oldest is twelve. Okay, even if for a twelve-year-old to have godlike powers at that age and the decision-making abilities, I mean, Kevin Costner is wise, telling him, "Let's, let's wait. Yeah. Let's wait until you're ready to become the greatest being on this earth."
1: Yeah. When I when people were were making such a big deal out of that, I I kept thinking the same thing was, well, first of all, it's a movie. Second of all, (laughs) put yourself in that person's place. You get the, the portrayal of Ma and Pa Kent is in the original Superman movie is very much your classic, well, it's a kindly old farm couple and they've raised this boy to be their own and they you know, good midwestern uh united states values and everybody you know it's it's all very pure and it's all there's not a whole lot of complication here and you put yourself in the in the character of what jonathan kent as a human would have been like and and i feel like well i I can't imagine i would be any different like i would be a little paranoid and i I would be concerned that if i let this slip somebody's taken my my son away and they're going to experiment on him and they're going to do all this other crazy stuff. And
2: not to mention you know,
1: you have people start
2: asking questions about how you illegally adopted a child.
1: Right. To me, I didn't have a problem with that when that uh-huh. whole thing came out. And I remember seeing that in the trailer and I remember having a discussion with, and it might've been, might've been Jeff, you know, one of the other guys that's on the podcast with us. Sometimes right. we might've had a discussion about that. And I, he was like, well, how do you feel about that? And I was like, uh, you know what? I, first of all, it's in a trailer, so it could be completely out of context. So let, let's actually watch the movie and, and see. And he's like, oh, that makes sense. And even watching the movie and and that line, it's like, you know, should I, should I have let them die? Maybe like, well, okay. So watching this as an audience member, watching a movie, I can sit there and have the luxury of saying, Oh, Jonathan, no, no, no. Bad advice, bad advice. But as a person, like if I'm living in this world and if that's me, I probably would say something like that. I might regret it later on. And they're like, okay, I made a mistake. Never mind." You know, we we don't let anybody ever die. Um, But in the moment when I've got a scared kid, that's asking me questions, and like you said, he's got this godlike power at age thirteen or, or whatever he was. Yeah, I'd probably be a little freaked out too. Another detail touch, just
0: you don't even notice it. I know this because I watched the behind the scenes when he ultimately shows Clark the the spaceship that he came to Earth in. You you get these extreme close ups of the desk behind him, and it's all his research on alien life. And, you know, extraterrestrials, UFO sightings, all of this, they, they went to the trouble to get all of that prepared for that tiny little scene that you don't even see. It's just kind of,
1: kind of crazy. Yeah. Before we jump ahead, I I did want to say one thing about Diane Lane's um, Martha Kent is to me, that's, and and I'm, I'm fine with the, the kindly old Martha Kent too. I mean, that's traditionally, that's how she's portrayed in, in nearly everything else. but this diane lane martha kent like she stands up to zod and if you're a mother who has raised this child and he eventually someday is going to become superman that's the martha kent that i would expect to see like someone who you've got this alien in front of you that has ridiculous power he's you know there's a couple of other there's too they've thrown a truck into your house and you're still gonna stand up to the guy like to me that's superman's mom
0: He has powers as we do? Certainly, but uh no magnificent one he is just one. Or you are three. Mm. Or four, if you count him
1: yeah. twice. You know, in terms of uh, the character of Nan, they've introduced him into the newer comics, and he's got a much more tragic story. I think that his story in the newer comics is he was friends with Jor El, yeah, and I he was he it. was a member of the Kryptonian Council, and he they lobotomized him. He right? was like lobotomized, yeah. He was lobotomized, and so. Every time you know Jorel sees him up until the destruction of Krypton like it breaks his heart because that was a, a very close friend of his and so it's obviously got a little bit more of a backstory when when you add that piece into it. One of the one of the characters that I was hoping that we would mention but um, didn't get mentioned he's only in the original Superman for one or two seconds. The actor's name I believe is Bo Rucker uh, and he played the pimp in Superman. <laughs> now, that was my dad's favorite I, line. <laughs> I ex- exactly. That's and I I didn't want to I didn't want us to go beyond the actors and the characters without mentioning the pimp <laughs> because that is possibly the best line in the movie, yeah. and there have been times, and, and, and I love that my children have no idea what I'm quoting up until they see the movie, and they're like, oh, so you didn't make that up. That's where you got that from. But there are times where if my kids will come in the room, they'll be like, um, dad, this is what I'm wearing to church today. Is this okay? Or <laughs> or dad, this is what I've got on. Is this all right? A lot of times I'll go, say, Jim, that's a bad outfit. <laughs> what? That is the Uh. best, I mean, just, just, and, and seeing that as a kid, that, that completely blew over my head of of how funny that is, but as an adult, and and Christopher Reeve, his response to the whole thing, that is probably one of the most hilarious, like, three or four seconds in the entire movie, (laughs) because he does the whole revolving door thing, steps outside, and the pimp says his line, say, Jim, that's a bad outfit, and Superman just goes, excuse me, puts one finger, me, <laughs> and then it flies away. I'm just like, that, you, you could just have played me that four seconds, and I would have said, you know what? Superman's the greatest movie it's ever been. <laughs> that's, that's all yeah. I need to see.
0: Young Clark in Superman movies was played by Jeff East. Now, when I watched these movies, I was like, holy cow, they got a guy who sounds exactly <laughs> like Christopher Reeve. To play the young Christopher Reeve. I mean, he doesn't look like him that much, but his voice is identical. No wonder they picked this guy. Yeah, so I was dumb. Christopher Reeve dubbed all those lines. Yeah, and they did it without Jeff East's knowledge. Now, Jeff East has been in a few other movies. Uh, do you guys remember the old Tom Sawyer movie with the red-headed Tom Sawyer and Jodie Foster? Yeah. Was, mm-hmm. I hate that. yeah. He played Huck Finn in that movie. Really? Jeff Easton, really? yeah.
2: Like a big fat cow with chewing on the butt. Like a cat in the bottom of the mud. We're happy as coot and we don't give a hoot.
0: Ain't we fine? He was really upset when he saw the movie and saw that his lines had been dubbed over by Christopher Reeve. He didn't know. And the producers didn't tell him that that was going to happen. He didn't know it was going to happen. So he was a little irritated. And then another interesting story for him, you know, they're doing, he does the the train race where they've got him kind of an absurd running thing, but I loved it when I was a kid. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, his gait is a little strange. It is a a little bit weird. But he, they do that scene where he jumps in front of the train just at the last second. And I, they're using a real train. And he said he almost died at some point as they were trying to film this because one of the, the cables didn't do, the like one of the cranes didn't do the right thing. And he swung back around. And Richard Hackman, Gene Hackman's brother, who was the stunt guy on the scene, grabbed him before he Whoa. swung back in front of the train and died.
1: Now, since you brought it up, I, that was one of the things that I really liked about how Man of Steel handled the young Clark Kent piece was, yeah. And I thought it was a pretty it was a it was a fresh take on it that that I just had not seen before. Watching that and thinking, you know what, the way he's dealing with these powers and these sensations that he just can't understand, it really reminded me of you know a lot of times when a when a student will get diagnosed with some kind of a learning disability or whatever it might be and i thought you know what is that the route that they're going to kind of take with this is that you know what if we think of superman as or what if we think of clark kent as he was a child that from the outside world he he grew up with some kind of a disability like that would be an interesting take that i've never seen or heard of before and just the way that you know his mom you know he, he panics because he you know sees through his teacher which would freak out anybody i'm glad he didn't stop and be like pink <laughs> um, that, that would like be awkward, pink? But, <laughs> if the teacher says do you like pink that makes right. it <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a little awkward but um and then you know he runs and locks himself in that closet and then his mom has to come and kind of talk him through the whole thing and he can hear all the kids making the comments about him outside the room and and the way she's just calming him down and trying to get him kind of back out of this panic that he's in mm-hmm. um i mean i've i've, I've seen students who actually do that. They just, the world just overwhelms them so much that the sensory stuff that's coming in just gets to them so much that they just cannot, they don't know how to process it.
0: His life is a lonely existence. And the the story of young Clark Kent um, in man of steel, I mean, really informs who he is as an adult and even going back and watching the, the original Superman movies with Christopher Reeve. You get that loneliness as well. There's there's this scene where he's tried to get Lois to go out with him and she won't go out with him. And then he tries to say hi to the guys in the hall as he's waiting for the elevator and it gets ignored. And then he's just kind of standing there waiting on the elevator. And there's this sense of loneliness of this is what comes with being Superman. It's not, you know, we all think, oh, gosh, I just want to be Superman. But there's this huge isolation that comes with the job that it's tough
2: i'll tell you what though superman as a strange child or a lonely man is a whole lot better than superman as a stalker (laughs) that you get in superman returns when he breaks into that person's house and i mean if you got
0: superman as an intruder you got a problem Now, bullying, I, I, I've got a full note on this one. Bullying is a huge part of this. And John, I feel like, and I could be totally making this up in my head, but I feel like you posted maybe an article a few months ago on kind of the notion of bullying and that sometimes it makes kids stronger. And Chris Rock's got a comedy special out on Netflix right now where like he, he finds out that they have a no tolerance policy for bullying um, at his daughter's school. And he's like, I almost pulled her out right then. He <laughs> says, bullies made me who I am. And, and so it's, it you know, bullying's a, a huge part of the backstory of, superman in in both movies Mm -hmm. uh you you get more of it in the original trilogy with the smallville guy what was that guy's name brad brad Mm -hmm. oh what a slime ball but then in the man of steel one, you get i mean you imagine if you were able to hear every ugly thing that people said about you
1: right what what would that turn you into if you had if you could hear everything in town And you heard every rumor, you heard every kid whispering about you. That idea is what is the
0: driving force behind the whole beginning story for Man of Steel. I mean, the whole story really for Man of Steel is this unspoken question for Clark, which is, is humanity worth saving? Because you get scene after scene where you've got humans being despicable followed up by humans doing the right thing. You've got the guy saving his life on the, what were they doing on that boat? It's like the Peggy Sue, yeah. yeah. Deadliest catch, man. He, you know, he saves his life, and then he calls, you know, he calls him a dummy. <laughs> but this kind of means like you know even though he thinks i'm an idiot he still saved me which then leads to him you know saving all those guys on the oil rigger you've got the kids being mean to him and then his mom comes in and is nice to him you've got Pete ross being mean to him on the bus before lana's nice to him which leads to him saving pete then you got the bully you know picking on him while he's reading Plato. <laughs> and and who's it that shows up to be nice it's Pete Ross who he's changed you know it's it's this constant. you got you got,
1: the, you got the guy at the bar later on that throws the the beer at him
0: right and the waitress who's you know he's like it's not worth it honey and then and then it all culminates with Lois who you know she's going to get the story she's going to get the story she finally figures it out but when she realizes what's at stake, she drops it. She doesn't let him go, which then gives you those lines later on where he says, thank you. And she says, for what? And he says, for believing in me. And she said, it didn't end up meaning very much. And he says, it did for me. Mm-hmm.
1: That's yeah, she's, was, she's the humanity that's worth saving.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the whole question. And you talked about this in your podcast and this was a huge deal for me when I saw Man of Steel the first time. I was kind of heavily into reading the Bible at that point. And so when I saw Man of Steel, I was like, holy smokes, there's a lot of christ references in this in this movie i was like i I learned about you know that was donner's intent and you can see it in the donner cut but it was was it's got donner says nobody's going to put as many christ references in as i will in a superman movie and (laughs) Dex tider says hold my
1: beer yeah Well, that was, my wife was surprised the first time we watched, she had never seen, I mean, it was several years ago now, but she had never seen the original Richard Donner Superman. Mm-hmm. And the first time we sat down and watched it together, she like partway through the movie, she goes, so is Richard Donner a Christian? Like, does, mm-hmm. is he like a pastor or something? Because <laughs> right. there's a lot of stuff in here. Like, I mean, that's pretty much straight out of the Bible. Is it? Like most of the stuff Jor-El is saying, I mean, it really sounds like it's right out of the Bible. And I said, yeah, no, it's yeah. just, that's. Just how they chose to do it, but the father becomes the son. Yeah,
0: yeah. And with Man of Steel, he's thirty-three years old yep. at the point that he's trying to decide whether to give up and save humanity or not. He goes to the church, and right behind him, as he's talking to the preacher, is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. I was like, oh, okay, that's. <laughs> that is a that is amazing and i don't know how many other people are seeing what i'm seeing right now but it's, and then of course uh when he right after Jorel says you can save her you can save all of them and he busts out of the ship and does his nesty plunge in the mm-hmm. jesus on the cross you know, i was just like wow
2: let me just make a comment on the suit real quick. Yeah. We can compare uniforms, but the original Superman movie, they wanted it to be darker, but they had to make it lighter because they were losing them in the uh, in the effects, like when they're flying around at night. I liked how in Man of Steel, you know, they always talk about Superman flying around in blue underwear. In red Man underwear. of Steel, well, red underwear uh, right. briefs, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> but Jarrell yeah. actually takes off his battle armor, and he's wearing that blue suit underneath, and so it actually is an undergarment yeah which i think is really cool turns out it is underwear (laughs) the uh i I do like how it looked like a super small like chain metal like it was protective you know i I don't mean to steer us off course on the uh, the uniform
0: but there's a great interview out there between christopher nolan you know who was the producer on man of steel and uh dick donner and he said he told dick donner this is interesting story number one christopher nolan course, grew up in England, he got to go and see the set uh, oh. for Superman Morning when he was like six years old. And then when he, he pitched his idea to Warner Brothers, he said, I want to do for Batman what Dick Donner did for Superman back in 78 when he was pitching his Dark Knight. Um, but they note in that interview, you know, everything's done on green screen now. But back when they were doing Superman, it was blue screen. Right. Right. Well, Superman's in a blue suit. How do you make him not invisible? That was tough. Like they had to go through several different colors to finally find one that was a blue that you could see that looked right but was not one that was going to make Superman invisible.
2: Superman 1 and 2, you got to go back to the 70s and real I mean, these are all practical effects. So, projection and wires and stuff like that. You know that the the cape in Man of Steel is 100% CGI. Yep.
0: I expect Better manners for my guests,
1: odd. Related to the the Superman suit itself, I, I was just a little disappointed in Man of Steel that he didn't tear that uh, emblem off and turn it into a cellophane S that he could throw at people. <laughs> I mean, I, I was so looking forward to that, but it just, it just never happened. The cellophane S. The cellophane S. Oh, my
2: God. Okay, so <laughs> let's get into that because a lot of people like to point out that this, even the family guy had a uh, little... Thing about this how it was just a minor inconvenience to non didn't really do anything and it, it wasn't based in any comic book it's just kind of a weird thing the cellophane s. but that's not the biggest problem from the superman one and two movies can we get into the reversal and the super kiss i'm ready to dive into this let's go for it yeah <laughs> okay let's yeah. go so i i love superman one and two i am going to defend superman one and two but it has problems so let's talk about Number one, the ending to Superman one, which was originally supposed to be the ending for Superman Uh two, the time reversal. So they were filming this movie. They are filming two movies at the same time when they realized, man, we're running out of money we're not sure we're gonna have enough money to finish Superman two, so let's finish Superman one. But they had this ending that they liked. And so they took the ending that was supposed to end at Superman two and put it at the end of Superman one. He flies backwards around the earth. The earth stops spinning and actually starts spinning backwards which causes time to reverse. People at the equator are spinning at approximately 2,000 miles per hour. And if the Earth suddenly stopped spinning, those people would continue to move at 2,000 miles an hour. (laughs) So the reversing the Earth on its axis would kill tons of people and destroy the Earth. It's not going to
0: reverse time. But... I'm okay with it. When I was a kid, I was like, oh, man, wow. I can't figure out how he manages to... Go in a circle around the Earth about a hundred times in a few seconds, but he can't get from one side of the United States to the other in in ten minutes that he's got to yeah. get both of the missiles.
2: I saw one of those uh, how it should have ended things, right? <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, you and, can't uh, you can't catch both uh, of those missiles. Oh wait, wait these two, <laughs> miss- <laughs> these <laughs> two missiles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now there was something that I read a, a while ago. And it actually made, because I this scene always bothered me too, like the whole time reversal stuff. And I, we'll get into the time reversal piece of it too, because I think that's, a, that's still a problematic way to try to solve your problems. But this scene where he flies, and I too have, have always kind of assumed, well, wow, he flew fast enough that it turned the earth backwards and it reversed the rotation of the earth. And then I read something and the person said, well, what if he's not actually exerting any kind of force on the Earth. What if we're just seeing him fly so fast that he's flying backward in time and we're seeing the Earth turn backwards because that's time turning backwards, not that he's actually turning the Earth backwards? And I'm like, oh, well, okay. I mean, I guess I am I'm, I'm feel a little bit better about that then if we're just watching the Earth rotate backwards because he's traveling back in time
0: okay. as opposed
1: to he's actually forcing the Earth to turn backwards. I'm like, all right, well... I'm, I clearly didn't get that as a kid. Like, as a kid, I was like, wow, he can turn the earth backwards. That's (laughs) that's pretty weird. But I also know that you've got all kinds of paradoxes when when you deal with time travel. And so I'm looking at that. I'm like, okay, now as an adult, as a kid, I was just like, all right, he turned back time. He saved Lois. Everything's all good. But then I'm also thinking about it now as an adult. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. If he turned back time, then did he catch the missiles? And where is he when the what if, wait a minute now okay, so where is current Superman when he's turning back the time, did he catch the missiles and how could he still get back to where Lois was and was she, wait, how is she okay now because if he turned back time the missiles would still have hit because he didn't go stop the missiles earlier as an adult if somebody were to do that now in a movie, I'd be like all right, that's kind of a cheap way to undo everything it's cheap,
0: but I don't think it's as cheap as the amnesia kiss, oh no, that, yeah, that's okay, (laughs) let's talk about (laughs) the far worse
2: (laughs) Okay, the super kiss is an underrated superpower, all right? (laughs) (laughs) I am telling you, if there... So underrated, it's non-existent. (laughs) (laughs) Men in this world, let's again, I know every man alive would like the power to fly and have x-ray vision. I want to
0: start answering that question that that way now. (laughs) Hey, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Amnesia kiss. That's what I'm thinking.
2: (laughs) If you could have a relationship and then be able to super kiss your way out of that relationship, Mm -hmm. that's a pretty good superpower. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But... I told I told you this yesterday. At the end of the movie Weird Science, when Lisa causes Gary's dad to forget that she was over there because she zapped him a little bit too hard, what if you kissed a girl a little bit too hard? What if he kissed Lois too hard and now she has no recollection of who Clark is? But that's not
0: even the biggest it's, it's problem a very, with those movies. Very delicate thing. They, yeah, when they get into the Fortress of Solitude and all of a sudden there's <laughs> 18 different new powers that we've never seen before, including stuff coming out of your finger. What's the deal with the white beams? I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how does he how does he push the rays to the outside that turn you into mortal men? How does that happen? <laughs> I'm just gonna push real hard on the glass here and everything will go out and I'll be safe inside. Okay, so Superman 2 is easy to pick on. Yes. It's it's very easy to pick on. There's a lot of a lot of lesser things that you can just go, well that was really dumb. It's also the most fun.
1: (laughs) Right. It is.
0: Well, but I'm going to go ahead and pick on Superman 1 at this point. I enjoy the camp. I enjoy the humor. But there are some things in Superman 1 that I was just like, what just happened just now? When Lex Luthor, in a matter of about a minute and 30 seconds, Mm -hmm. not only figures out what Kryptonite can do, but where to get it by going around on his four-shelf bookshelf. Mm -hmm. It's absurd. He, he, he's like, oh, well, you know, he said he's from another galaxy. Well, uh, I think he said that actually. I have a feeling that meteorite is going <laughs> right. to cripple him. Which means that a piece of his planet had to have hit Earth. Mm-hmm.
1: No, no, that's not what no, that it doesn't. means. It's, it's a really big universe.
0: And I'm going to go ahead and scoot on over here, pull out a book. Here's a guy with a meteorite. Here's a picture. I'll tear it out. You can look at it. We know where he is. And... How do we know that this is from Krypton? We don't. We don't. I'm going to
2: poke the bear and then Uh, test my theory.
0: Oh, my gosh. And then somehow he makes it out there, picks up his, (laughs) steals the, because he steals it from a museum. I know that that news report's going on. Mm -hmm. Steals it from the museum, then manages to make it back in time to set all the stuff up with the missiles, and then manages to make it out to the area where the land deals are going on. It's just all, I'm just like, oh, guys.
1: Well, but uh, I mean, he's the, he's the greatest criminal mind of our age. <laughs> Me? Lex Luthor.
2: How about the fact <laughs> that he he says, uh, where, where does he go, Miss Tessbacher? Uh, north. Right? North. So he wanders around vaguely until he finds the Fortress of Solitude. Oh, yeah. And then when he gets there, Superman spent at least, uh, was it 12 years from the time he was 18 to mm-hmm. the time he was about 30, 12 years learning now. about Kryptonian history. It's a nice mm-hmm. way to dodge Vietnam, by the way.
0: <laughs>
2: oh, <yeah. laughs> I'm just going to hang out in the Fortress of Sausage, the, the ice disco. Yeah. Um, but Lex Luthor shows up in about five minutes. He's got it all figured out. Right. Yeah. The crystals and all that stuff.
1: Well, again, mm-hmm. greatest criminal mind of our age. Right? <laughs> I think I think you guys are really struggling with something you don't need to struggle with. He's the greatest criminal mind <laughs> of our age. That's all you need to know. It's yeah. like the uh, I don't know if you've seen lately. I've seen people put up these uh, GIF or this image on Twitter, the meme for Batman being the greatest detective. Yeah, and it's from the episode of when he was trying to figure out the identity of the Joker. And he's got a picture of this like gangster that the face kind of resembles the Joker, and he's but he's in like a, a, a picture with like twelve other people. And Batman in the animated series, he takes his red marker and he just draws a red smiley face. And, guy, and he's like, "That's the Joker." I'm like, "Really? That, you know, the, the great Dark Knight detective. All it took was a red sharpie for you to figure out who the Joker was." But you know what?
2: That the super kiss is not the biggest problem. The turning the time back is not the biggest problem. Wandering around and finding the Fortress of Solitude is not the biggest problem. The biggest problem for me is when Clark trips over the bear head (laughs) and falls into the fire and reveals himself to be Superman. First of all, Superman would kick that bear (laughs) Through the wall. I mean, the, the fact that he would trip is ludicrous. Uh, and then, I mean, he fights, fights, fights Lois, and then he reaches in and grabs the glasses real quick. And, you know, as soon as she confronts him, well, you are Superman. He's just like,
0: yep, yeah, yeah. yes, I am. Sorry about almost letting you drown earlier. <laughs> the, I'll just go ahead and fess up now, now that your life's not in danger at all.
2: The reveal is ludicrous. <laughs> it's but the, the Donner reveal was just as bad. She pulls a gun on him. I'm like, I feel bad for this guy. She fires at him, which he,
0: he then takes his glasses off. Hey, yeah. I'm Superman. And he's like, that was a really dangerous yeah. you know, risky game for you to play. And she's like, with blanks. I have blanks. Right. Which then then you go, okay, so Superman doesn't feel bullets at all when he gets <laughs> shot? Like, there's no feeling whatsoever? I, I, there's got to be at least a tickle. See, if that
2: was you, though, and somebody pulled a gun on you uh-huh. and fired an actual gun, you're trying to seduce? Yeah. You'd have to change your shorts. <laughs> The seduction would be over at that point. The reveal is my biggest problem with these two movies.
0: Okay. We're moving into judgment stage here. So let's, we've talked about the problems with Superman 1 and Superman 2. Let's talk about problems with Man of Steel. Okay. Jason. You
2: have the floor. Okay. My biggest problem is when he executes Zod, the killing of Zod. And I know that they try to make the case compelling that he's going to X ray vision these innocent civilians. And that's kind of Clark's last chance. I mean, that's what he has to do. But for me, when I saw this movie in theaters, I thought, man, I just, I don't know if I want Superman killing. I don't know. What do you think? Well,
0: he killed Zod in Superman <laughs> 2 as well. And, and just to just to draw the distinction here, at least he struggled with the decision a little bit <laughs> in Man of Steel. And when it happened, he cried out in agony like, oh no, I've just killed the last Krypton, Kryptonian <laughs> member of our race. Krypton. I like how you say it
1: like uh, Marlon Brando does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Krypton. Um, yeah, yeah, he, didn't, I mean, he didn't smile and wink at him before he threw him into the chasm.
0: I mean, it was... <laughs> In, in Superman 2, as he's coming up and he's acting like he doesn't have his powers and he kneels down, he has got the biggest frown I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, I've got to hide what's about to happen because I'm just going to nail out so I'm going to look super, super sad. And then he doesn't just kill him. He crushes his hand <laughs> and then throws him, screaming in pain, down a bottomless pit. It's... It, <laughs> Of the two deaths, I think the quick ne- next step is what I would choose.
1: So that was, you know, I, when Man of Steel came out, I'm the person in my circle of friends that whenever a Star Wars movie comes out, whenever a Superman movie comes out, people always like go to me first. Like, what do you think? Mike? Right. We need to know what you thought because if you loved it, then that probably means it's pretty good and you know all this stuff. And So I was like the first person people get into debates with. And they were like, "Oh man, he just he let the whole city get trashed." And he, Superman would never do that, and you know, and, and all that stuff. He's like, "Well, Superman snapped his neck. He'd never, you know, Superman would never do that." I'm like, uh, "Have you read a Superman story? Like, uh, there's times, <laughs> all the time, where somebody dies or or something happens like that." And, and the exact same thing when that came up, and people were like, "Well, he, Superman would never snap his neck like that." I said, "Well, have you watched Superman too? Because not only does he, I mean, these people are powerless. Like, he has." reversed this process so these are it's not like he's fighting a supervillain in Superman 2 he's now fighting Disco Zod and and Ursa and Nun and he's just letting them die and I'm like that to me now that I think about that as an adult as a kid I was like yeah you go Superman you crush his hand you do all that stuff you know and wrong again Zod and as a kid I was like this is awesome I love this he's finally getting back at these people and I look at that now and I go that's really sadistic yeah. Like, he could have, if the guy can go catch a missile, you know, if he can fly halfway across the United States and catch a missile and then possibly fly back and get the second one and, and be like, hey, I got, got both of them, then I have a feeling that Super Superman could probably zip the, what was it, 15 feet to go, like, you know, catch Nan before he falls into the chasm. He could then zip the 15 feet to go catch Ursa. He, he, he could even let Lois, you know, do her thing and punch Ursa. Right. I, I'm, I'm fine with that but then he could go catch her so she doesn't die and he doesn't have to throw Zod into the thing and kill him. These are, he's killing humans. So that to me now as an adult and and kind of comparing those situations, that's way more problematic for me when I actually think about how those villains were done away with in that movie and and knowing the history of the comics actually killing zod in the comics was something that defined superman for many 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 years there were moments in the superman comics for the next after two to three decades after the mid-80s where superman would always bring that up he's like well the reason i don't kill is because i did kill zod i executed zod and his generals and it tore me up and it it made me value life once i realized what i had done and there's always got to be a better way so that to me was that kind of moment is what makes him, you know, it's it's what's building that character. It's what makes him the Superman that he will later become. And when that happened in Man of Steel, I didn't have a problem with it because I looked at that as you've got Superman who's been, I mean, he's been raised on Earth. He's a civilian. He's been raised on Earth. And he's fighting someone that has the exact same powers he does with military training, you know, probably, you know, self-defense military-type training. And so he's not going to have the same tactical knowledge, the same kind of fighting skill. you know, that... And he's, he's doing what he can. Like this is a still a very young super. He's only been Superman for what a day, maybe right. a couple of days. <laughs> right. And so I'm looking at that and I'm going, well, putting myself in that shoes. Well, what would I do in that situation? If I saw a family about to get killed, right. this guy who has basically said, you've wiped out all the rest of my people. I have nothing left. I will kill every person on this earth to get back at you. So he's, he said, I'm going to murder everyone. I'm just letting you know, I'm going to murder everyone. And I look at that and I go, put in that situation. I, I mean, I would never kill anyone. I, I, that me personally, I'm like, no, I, I would never kill anyone. But if you put me in that situation, would I struggle with it? And and if push came to shove, would I snap the guy's neck to save a group yeah. of other people, a family, and possibly the rest of the earth? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. So so that scene, it doesn't bother me. And what bothers me more, and I this this is not necessarily the scope of our discussion, but what bothers me more is that we didn't get a Man of Steel 2 to be able to explore that further. Uh, but no, that, that scene doesn't bother me because I, I I compare that now with Superman 2 and I think, well, actually, that, that seems more callous and a little bit more sociopathic than you know the the events of Man of Steel.
2: You know, we, we were talking about this. This has been a few weeks ago. It had never even occurred to me that Superman killed all three of those villains in Superman 2.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah, Because I'm, I'm still looking at it through a child's eyes. Apparently, there's rumors of some cut out there that shows that these criminals were arrested and taken to jail.
0: Yeah, I think Hmm. that, didn't you, you did some research on that. Like there was. I I
2: saw it where they, he arrested Lex Luthor.
0: Right, the the Arctic police come in and (laughs) arrest Lex Luthor.
2: The Arctic police. The Arctic police who
0: happened to. Also get access to the Fortress of Solitude. I think Lois called nine one one from that in the in the. There's a super the phone. phone they
1: have. They have a little. <laughs> kind of like, it's it's under a glass jar. It's like what Batman used to have. You just you pick up the glass jar. It's like a it's like a you know Kryptonian crystal jar. You pick That's it up and right. make the phone. That's call one of the
0: things you know. that he did in the Molecule Chambers. We called nine one one. Right. Uh, but apparently the the rumor that the three Kryptonian villains get arrested and put in human jail is just that. It's just a rumor. Yeah, okay.
2: But <laughs> I will say this. When we talked about this, so and I'm moving in towards my final judgment here, but after re-watching these, Man of Steel is better than I remember it being initially. Mm-hmm. Superman 2 is worse than I remember it being originally. But at the time, Superman 2 did a great job of manipulating my feelings as a little boy. Yeah. And I was telling D that when he goes into the molecule chamber and there's red on the outside rather than the inside. I didn't catch that when I saw it in the theater. And so when he starts crushing his hand, I'm like, wait, what, what? And then I'm like, yes. So that scene charged me up. When Lois Lane punches out Ursa, that... I got fired up about that. I was so excited.
0: We didn't touch on this, but this is a major factor in what's going on in those scenes and how you feel emotionally at the time of the death of Zod and his henchmen. With Superman, you've got John Williams' score, which, I mean, Arguably the best superhero score in all of history, right? And and I will tell you that you know I heard about Dick Donner coming in and hearing this for the first time, and he said something that made that that gave me vindication because I will sing Superman to my kids whenever we're putting it on in the car, mm-hmm. and I go da 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 mm-hmm. Superman. I mean I, yeah. I love it, and mm-hmm. but apparently that was exactly Dick Donner's reaction when he heard Williams' theme for Superman was you are saying it with the music. And it's fantastic yeah when he crushes his hand you get that score coming in with dun, 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 and you're like yes it's a victory we've got the victory theme but when he's having to decide to kill zod it's agonizing you've got you've got zimmer's intense Lovely. emotional non-thematic music just pulling at you and okay. it's yeah, it, it totally changes your perspective to where you think, oh gosh, this is horrible. This is horrible. Superman's killing somebody. Well, that's what they want you to think because it is horrible. It's just that in Superman, they made it funny and justified. And John, I thought
2: for a second that D was going to sing, Can you read my mind?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes. Uh, well, the, I definitely the, the most awkward the horrible, moment horrible, of the movie. Yeah, the yeah. horrible solo play <laughs> poem reading that Margaret Kidder did.
1: Yeah, in terms of the music, I mean, that, since since we're talking music, I have, a, I have a really hard time with this one as I was as I was doing my back and forth of all right, well, okay, you got John Williams on Zimmer. Let's go back and forth with it. And then um, who did they replace John Williams with for two? Ken Thorne, Ken I think Thorne, was his yeah. name. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I and I spent the last few days. Uh, I had my Spotify playlist up, and I just put I put all the soundtracks um, together, and I was like, I'm just going to listen to this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you know what? I the John Williams. You, you can't argue with that. It's it's iconic. It is it is Superman. It's I mean that's been for ever since 1978. Hans Zimmer score. Nobody's going to do that. When my son was really really little, still in his car seat, I'd put on like the uh, Planet Krypton theme. From Superman, yeah, and when it would, when it would get to the point where it just crescendoed, he'd like, duh, duh. I'm not even gonna do it right, but he'd like <laughs> throw both arms up in the air, back in his car seat. I was like, yeah. okay, I have raised you well. Like, really, you could just stop now because you know this has been successful. But you know, you've got that. You've got the John Williams. You know, had that very kind of synthesizer, creepy. You know, the almost like the little the Kryptonian Zod theme. Um, yes. that got continued on through Superman 2 I will say though that overall as an entire movie as an entire film I think that the Hans Zimmer score did a little bit better job for me of filling in the you know, filling in the the atmosphere of that movie like if I look at the if I look at the original Superman and, and Superman 2 score I can probably in my mind I can probably pick out oh yeah there's like three pieces of music that I can remember. Right. And, and that's if I ignore the, can you read my mind part, which I'm constantly trying to do. I wish, <laughs> I wish there was some kind of a super kiss that could get that one out of my mind. <laughs> um, but then I think about the Hans Zimmer score and I'm like, okay, is there anything in there that's as memorable as the planet Krypton theme as the John Williams Superman theme? No, but in the movie as a whole, overall that, that fills that movie so much better than the John Williams score does.
0: They they did some neat things with Hans Zimmer's score um, musically. Like he, he, Superman being as American as he is, he wanted to take something that was a uniquely American instrument, which is the pedal steel guitar, which you typically hear in like bluegrass and country music, but he changed it in such a way that it becomes the string section. So you've got a really unique sound of those strings that you can recognize from, from, uh, the Man of Steel score. And then on those intense scenes, it's all drums that bull, 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 bull. and uh, for that one we get like nine different drummers. It's like twelve of the world's greatest drummers. Yeah. Including, including Sheila E <laughs> and Jason Bonham. And so he puts them in a he puts them in a circle, puts the microphone in the middle of the circle and to to give the effect of being surrounded by these intense primal drums. All right, so final judgment.
2: I'm with Superman one and two over Man of Steel.
0: Yeah, I I gotta say that after after watching these movies again, I, I had the same reaction you did. I liked Man of Steel better than I did at the beginning, and I loved it at the beginning. I, I gotta say, I, Man of Steel is is a better movie. It's plot structure is better the the character development is better the setting for smallville the setting for krypton the struggle that clark has are all better and so as much as it pains me as much of a fan of the original movies as i am and was man of steel is a better movie now I'll say this, Superman will always be Christopher Reeve to me. If you say Superman, that's the first thing that I want to think of. And he brought something to the character that Henry Cavill did. Henry Cavill did a great job, and especially the moment that, that he's standing watching his father about to die. That is an emotionally moving moment for me and a fantastic performance. I had the same feeling I felt whenever Superman, Christopher Reeve, finds Lois dead and and cries out. Both of those were emotionally impactful performances. Right. But whereas Christopher Reeve will always be Superman in my mind, I've got to say Man of Steel is a better movie. John?
1: Yeah, I... All right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I know. of truth. <laughs> I almost wanted to pull an Eric Cartman. Like, <laughs> I, I hate you guys so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jason, you kind of you or, or one of you guys referenced early on that in my, in my episodes I did where I talked about like the history of Superman and um, and I did my ranking of it. I, I think I said that Superman one was number one for me, uh, Man of Steel was number two, and Superman two was number three. And so having rewatched these movies, having talked it out with you guys here, having taken copious notes, you know, and scared my family because they thought I was turning into a serial killer with like all these <laughs> composition notebooks full of tiny handwriting. I think I've come out the other side of this with I, James, I think I'm I'm very much on the same page you are that nothing will ever replace Superman 1 and 2. For me, they I mean far and above christopher reeve will always i always look at him and think superman nothing can ever replace the times that i had you know watching these movies with my dad with my family and just the the memories that are attached with those i love superman one i love superman two but that being said some of the things that we've said here too i think that man of steel and I know that this is a this is an unpopular opinion because a lot of people don't like Man of Steel. Man of Steel has always been my favorite of the more recent DC movies, even including I think the Batman movies, the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Oh. I, Man of Steel is my favorite. I, I guess you wouldn't even call those DC EU because that was we weren't there yet. But it's my favorite DC movie of the last, you know, probably a couple of decades. And I think for some of the very similar reasons that. It's just, I get more backstory. I get more emotional involvement in the character of Clark and the character of Superman, the character of Lois, the even the character of Zod. I have more of a emotional, visceral reaction to what's going on in this movie. I care more about these characters. Not that I didn't care about them when I was a kid watching the other ones, but it was very much... Sometimes it's the difference between uh, sometimes people that are like Marvel fans of DC fans will make this distinction. Marvel will say, "Well, our stuff is grounded in reality. We have our characters in Boston and New York and San Diego, whereas you guys made up towns like Gotham and Metropolis and like we're, you know, our characters, we have a scientific reason why they have powers and and you know, so there's a difference between like your grounded explanation for superheroes and more of like your godlike legends. And I think that Superman and Superman 2 fall into that very comic book centric godlike legend of Superman. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I absolutely love that about those movies. But I think for someone who wants to dig into the story and understand why these characters are doing what they're doing. Why does he become the Superman that we all know and love? Uh, Why does he fall in love with Lois? Who are the parents that raised him to think this way and to to be this way? Who's the villain that just, I mean, almost perfectly matches with, with what he's struggling with at the time in this movie and how he has to, I mean, like we said, he is agonized when he kills Zod at the end because all he's ever wanted is to belong. All he's ever wanted is to fit in. He's finally found his people and he has had to kill the last of his other than himself. He's had to kill the last of his people. So, he's had to completely destroy the one thing that he has wanted his entire life is just to fit in. And so I think for those reasons, I I kind of, I have to go man of steel in this case, you know, but it's really, it's really a struggle to say that because it's just, I love the other Superman movies so much. And you know, the next time I watch him, it might be like, I might watch Superman again. I'd be like, Oh no, you know what? Actually, original <laughs> Superman is number one again. You know, to me, I, I get more, emotional involvement in Man of Steel. We get to see him develop as a kid. We get to see him develop as a hero. That's one of the things, even as a kid, one of the things that I, I didn't, I understood the reason for it, you know, in, in trying to fit in like the, the biblical imagery, that you would have a stretch of time where, well, we don't know what happened to Clark in this stretch of time, you know, from 18 to to 30, uh, we don't know. Like he just disappeared for an amount of time. And then he came back and started his, for lack of a better term, started his ministry uh, of being (sighs) Superman. And you know, that's fine. And that's fine for that movie, but I'll, I'll I'll take another line for the Bible. That was fine when I was a child. And now that I'm older, I'm, I I put away a childish things and I want more explanation. I want more of that story. I want to know my characters. And I, I want to make that connection with them. I want to see a Lois that my Superman would fall in love with. That he would look at her and say, "This is the humanity that I'm here to save." I will. I, I wanted to before we before we ended. I did want to pull these out. That I love. This is this is the the, the part I love about both of these movies. Is just. The kind of ideal that this is trying to build up, and I, I love both of these speeches from JorEl, and so I, I didn't want to, you know, skip being able to, to read these or, or take a look at these. And in his speech in the Fortress of Solitude, he says, "You know, live as one of them, KalEl. Discover where your strength and your power are needed. Always hold in your heart the pride of your special heritage. They can be a great people, KalEl, if they wish to be. They only lack the light to show the way." For this reason above all their capacity for good i have sent them you my only son and then i also wrote down the one from man of steel and i, I just i love both of these you know jor says you will give the people of earth an ideal to strive towards they will race behind you they will stumble they will fall but in time they will join you in the sun cal in time you will help them accomplish wonders and i think i think that's part of where i i hit that difference is I love the speech by Marlon Brando jor but I will say I teared up in the theater when I listened to Russell Crowe deliver that speech. They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall. But in time, they will join you in the sun. And it actually comes from a, a Superman comic where it's a story in which Superman, his, his life is coming to an end. He's actually going to send himself into the sun and that's going to be his final resting place. And so jor speech, and that, that's actually where Man of Steel took it from, his speech in that one is, your work is done you have shown them the face of the man of tomorrow. You have given them an ideal to aspire to, embodied their highest aspirations. They will race and stumble and fall and crawl and curse. And finally, they will join you in the sun, Kalel. In time, you will no longer be alone. And I think that that, like bringing that piece into Man of Steel and just the way that speech is delivered and what that speech says, like it's it, it makes me, even now it like makes me emotional to think about that, you know, the father speaking that to his son and that's that emotional piece i get that emotional piece every time i watch man of steel i love superman one and two but i don't get the emotional connection to those so i think for that reason and just because of some of the other things we've said about how i think there's just more there's more meat to man of steel i gotta go man of steel the
0: speech by russell crowe they used it for the trailer Mm-hmm. Um, and I, re- I can remember really distinctly when the trailers came out for Man of Steel before the movie came out, because the visual that you had in both trailers were the same. But in one, you had that speech from Jarrell, and then the other one, you have uh, an admonishing speech uh, from Jonathan Kent. You have to decide what kind of man you want to grow up to be. Whoever that man is, good character or bad gonna change the world. I can remember seeing those commercials and it is the scene from the movie where uh, they're looking at nine-year-old Clark Kent and he's playing around in the yard yeah. and he's got a cape on and he, you know, you see him stand up tall, put his chest out, put his hands on his hips in the iconic Superman pose. And I, I remember watching the first time and I, I think my wife was next to me and I said even superman wanted to be superman when he was a boy. <laughs> and that's the way it is I think for all all young men. It's it's, it's that that ideal to strive for. We are always striving to be superman. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think that does it for this episode or um, all likelihood episodes. (laughs) John, I really appreciate you coming out and uh, being with us for all of these episodes. Uh, It's been great fun to have you. And so inspiring to hear your input on these. Great, great stuff. Thank you so much for coming.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me out. I, I can't wait to, I'm, I mean, obviously when this comes up in my feed, I, like I said, I, I jump to you guys first. I like block all other podcasts. Like, nope, Got to gotta find out what they're, what they're going to argue about this time. So I'll be looking forward to this one too.
0: Oh, thanks man. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And yeah. to all our listeners, please, if you haven't already, uh, go check out 30 something movie podcast. You can find them on Twitter at 30 podcasts uh, on Twitter. And is it the same on Facebook, John?
1: Yeah, it's pretty much if you do three zero and podcast, it, yeah. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you know, there's probably something that's come out in the next three days that I'll sign up for. But yeah, 30 podcasts, wherever. Um, thank you all.
0: Again, we're overwhelmed by the support that we've been getting for our podcast. We, we really love that you love what we're doing. And uh, we're just going to keep on going as long as you're listening. That's right.
2: We'd love to have a five star review. Five star review for 30 something podcast. We'll give you a big old fat super
0: kiss. For <laughs> we won't even give you amnesia. About
1: it. <laughs> and then you're, and you know what? And once we give you that super kiss, you'll forget that you left a five star review. So then you can go leave another for one.
0: All music images and movie clips are used for the purposes of commentary and education in conjunction with the fair use agreement under the U.S. copyright law.
2: Mm -hmm. Come here and kiss your mama.